0: We made this.
1: Hello and welcome to Life's Milestones, the podcast about birth and naming ceremonies, weddings and relationships and death and funerals, right here on the We Made This podcast network. My name's Mark Adams and I am a humanist celebrant. That means that I am accredited and insured by Humanists UK to write and deliver humanist naming ceremonies, weddings and funerals. This is my podcast about those milestones in people's lives and each fortnight I have a different guest and ask them questions about their life's milestones. Over the past few weeks, with the exception of Coop actually, I've been talking to people I don't know, people that I've found via groups on Facebook, but I'm moving back to people I know for a short while, because I do enjoy having chats with people I know and like. As such, I've recruited Craig McKenzie, who is a friend of mine through the We Made This podcast network. He is the host of two or three of our podcasts actually, including one on the MCU, which is podcast 616, and one on the Star Trek show, Lower Decks, and that's called Rarely Going. Craig's a lovely fella, and he's got some fascinating stories to tell. So I'm just going to get on with it and hand over to my interview with Craig
2: McKenzie.
1: With me at this time is Craig McKenzie. Hello, Craig.
3: Hello. How are you doing?
1: doing too bad. I'm not doing too bad. How about yourself?
3: I'm not bad. A little bit tired. Uh, I'm just off the back of a 20-hour charity video game streaming marathon so I haven't slept much but hanging in there.
1: (laughs) Good stuff. Well I hope you uh, made a lot of money. Which charity was it?
3: It was the Red Cross's anti-loneliness campaign. So the the idea that you know people particularly now are feeling more isolated and some people don't have access to devices that help them connect and Raising the money is about helping them get those devices. So like £50, for example, can get someone a smartphone or a smart device that can connect to the internet and help them connect with people. And I think it was a great way of just, well, for charity, some people do skydives, some people do bungee jumps. Me, I sit in my arse and play video games. You know, I feel like (laughs) I can make that sacrifice. But 20 hours is a long time.
1: Yeah, I think... Anyone who argues that, oh, he's doing something fun. I wouldn't find anything fun if I had to do it for 20 hours straight.
3: (laughs) Well, I never lost the actual I'm enjoying this vibe. I I was enjoying it throughout. But by the time I got to the end, I was thinking, I'm eager to do just something else now. Sleep. (laughs) Yeah. For instance. Yeah. Or just watch something that isn't a video game.
1: Yeah. So... We are doing a quick guest profile before we get into the juicy stuff. First question is, how old are you?
3: I am 33.
1: 33. A wee young man, a wee young man. <laughs> are you ahead, your life ahead of you?
3: Yeah, well, I hope so.
1: <laughs> and so where are you from and what's your background?
3: Well, I'm from Falkirk. Originally, I currently live in Edinburgh, so background is grew up in Falkirk, pretty normal childhood with parents grandparents close family just sort of did school did high school did university studied English at Sterling University eventually got a job that I'm still doing you know a real job quote unquote working in an grown office yeah grown-up job yeah grown-up job. yeah. grown jobs are always the boring jobs aren't they spreadsheets and other stuff like that but um I moved out to Edinburgh because that's where I was working and I've been there ever since, kind of broadly doing the same thing.
1: But Edinburgh is a gorgeous city. I've only visited like a couple of times, but every time I've been to Edinburgh, I've absolutely loved it.
3: Yeah, it's a nice place to be. I mean, obviously it has its drawbacks as well. There's always a sort of seedy underbelly to every place you go. Not that I engage in it, but I know it's there. Is
1: that a big city thing? Am I missing
3: something in Manchester? Well, you might be. I've no idea what the scene is in Manchester, but every city will have its points we don't put in the brochure, shall we say. (laughs) Does Edinburgh still have pandas? I believe so. Well, I'm not sure. I haven't been to the zoo in a while. But, yeah, was pandas that were unwilling to reproduce. It's Mm. these endangered animals that are, are... willing to let themselves go extinct for some reason because they're, I guess, picky.
1: Yeah, well, um, the last time I went to Edinburgh, we went to see the pandas and there was talk that if they didn't shag, then China would confiscate them from Edinburgh. (laughs) So I'm glad that they haven't done that.
3: It maybe has happened. I'm not 100% sure. Check the zoo's website, I guess that'll tell you.
1: Yeah, good point. I could easily do that, couldn't (laughs) I? So what do you do that makes you interesting? Tell me about your stuff
3: my stuff. So, outside of the day job, which is the boring part, uh, I run a blog called Neil Before Blog, which is, you know, Superman pun, a delicious Superman pun. We review, or I review nerdy stuff, so I review a lot of superhero content, The Flash, Arrow, Supergirl, things like that. I'm currently reviewing Star Trek Discovery, so that keeps me busy. It used to keep me a lot busier than it does now. For some reason I've lost the ability to churn out sort of three massive articles in a night, which... Maybe it's a good ability to lose because that's madness. It's just so time-consuming. And mm. because I don't give myself enough to do, I started a podcast that's attached to that where I talk about the same sort of stuff, except I have to edit it and spend hours like putting it together and organising it. And, you know, the, the term herding kittens comes to mind when it comes to organising yeah. podcasts, which I'm yeah. sure you're aware of.
1: Yeah, I've found that the best way to edit a podcast is that Someone else does it for you. <laughs> yeah,
3: I don't know anybody that um, with that particular mental illness that I can exploit, but <laughs> one day maybe someone will be like, I want to practice my editing skills for free and I'll do it on your podcast. And they'll be like, go nuts. <laughs> Off you go.
1: <laughs> yeah, I edit this one, but some of my other ones are edited by other hosts, and I'm eternally grateful because that's the crap bit.
3: Yeah, it is. Although sometimes when listening back to it, it reminds you of that funny thing that happened and you laugh all over again. The worst part is when you laugh at a joke that you made, which happens to be quite often.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I've done that. You're also a host of podcasts on the We Made This Podcast Network as well, though, aren't you?
3: Yes. Well, not for a while. I did rarely go in the Lower Decks podcast. I did at least half of those, probably a bit more than half of them. And Tony brought me on as a guest initially for the Picard one that he was doing. Uh, After I met him at a Star Trek convention in Birmingham. You know, Mm. conventions used to be the thing that happened um, when we were allowed to go outside. Weird. That was two years ago I met him there, I think. Mm. And then he messaged me when Picard was starting and, and asked if I wanted to appear on an episode. And then I ended up appearing on two episodes because I sort of volunteered after someone dropped out at the last minute. I happened to be free that afternoon, so that mm. was good. So I got to be on two episodes of Picard and um, talk about them. And then I got to talk about my favourite episode of the season just by accident. That was the one I was assigned, the, the one where Riker appeared, so that was great. So, yeah, it's been great being a part of the We Made This Network, I think. Um, a lot of good people on there and lots of opportunities to just talk about stuff. And it's a really supportive community. It's, it's really good to see.
1: Yeah, and I think there's a vibe amongst us that you know you start with one podcast and then you get excited talking to some other hosts about another random old tele show or whatever and these things kind of organically happen so yeah it's it's nice to be a part of a network I think
3: yeah it's you're just not in a vacuum there you're not the only person doing editing you're not the only person doing hosting There's people that can support you if you're stuck, I guess. You know, it's, I can't host this week, can someone jump in? Or, I've lost Mm. a guest, can someone jump in? Something like that. I think that's really valuable. Because on my own podcast, usually one setback is enough to just derail the entire episode. Because finding someone is nearly impossible. Because it's just such a small group of people. And to be fair, don't pay people, obviously. Their time Mm. is valuable and precious and things happen. And... Totally understand that, but it's when you've, you know, when you've prepared something, you've built towards something. That's, oh great, now it can't happen. How can I make this happen, or can I make it happen?
1: Yeah. Well, you seem to talk about the kind of geeky things I like. If you need a guest and I've not got anything on, ping me. I will bury
3: that in mind. <laughs>
1: All right, let's move on and talk about birth. When and where and how were you born?
3: I was born in Falkirk Royal Infirmary, 25th of September 1987, around about 11 o'clock. I forget the exact minute, but I was around about then, so just in time for lunch, as my gran likes to say. (laughs) Uh, So how I was born, probably the same way everyone else was born, more or less. Mm. Uh, I I don't know the gory details and specifics, but um, yeah, that was it. Uh, Just born in Falkirk. The tail end of the 80s, just about to be a 90s kid.
1: Yeah, so you would have grown up in the 90s. Yeah. Yeah, I was a teenager in the 90s and um, they were fun times. I'm sure. (laughs) So um, tell us a favourite story about your childhood.
3: So I'm, I'm very close to my grandparents and I always was. And I think it's one of those things, you know, it's a common thing where kids will go running to their grandparents when their parents aren't. Cooperating in the way that they want them to, and it's it's, it's always that thing. You're, well, in particular, my gran always had my back, you know, she, or she would always explain something in a way that made it seem more reasonable, and I would back down. But it would seem like I was being capitulated to somehow. And I think, um, you know, in a broad sense, I think that's something I remember very fondly is just, you know, bonding with my grandparents. Well, my parents were both working; they kind of both went back to work as relatively soon after. I was born, so from an early age, I was, you know, partially raised by my grandparents. With my parents, obviously, well, more than chipping in, but um so I had that kind of that that broadness to my upbringing, where I was, just, yeah, where I just had all these perspectives, and indoctrinated into the the ways of watching Star Trek by my grandparents <laughs> and my uncle and my dad as well. So it's it's things like that, uh, watching Thunderbirds with my uncle. Uh, from a young age, that's a that's a fun memory. So
1: you feel like your geekiness was perhaps a gift from the people around you.
3: I was I was dead on arrival. I didn't have a choice. It was, <laughs> we're putting you in front of this stuff. You're going to enjoy it somehow, or you you will enjoy, or you, you will end up enjoying it. I remember growing up watching Star Trek, not liking the original series at first because for some reason it was harder to get into. But I always loved mm. Next Gen, and then. As I grew older, I grew in appreciation for the original series. Or There was always an episode of a, of original series that I would enjoy, like The Doomsday Machine, because it's just exciting and it's very unlike most of the rest of the show because it's very fast-paced and action-movie-like. But I don't know. It's just, yeah, it was kind of thrust upon me early on and I've never broken it. I've never renounced my geekiness.
1: Do you genuinely think that that kind of thing is something that, You wouldn't have got into if it weren't for your parents and grandparents being into that. I mean, the example I would give is that my dad was desperate for me to be into football. And, oh boy, did I resist that. And I still dislike football deeply. But surely you must feel like you could have resisted it if you wanted to.
3: I mean, I probably could have. I think the fact that it was just so ubiquitous, it was on all the time. So... There was no real avoiding it in that sense. But at the same like my dad does like football, but I don't remember a point where he ever tried to sort of indoctrinate me in the ways of whatever team he supports. I know a lot of my friends, they are, you know, their dad would take them to the games early on in life and things mm. like that. I suppose my dad never went to games. He would always just watch it on the TV. So it would have maybe played out differently if he'd been that sort of a guy, but he's not. So mm. I think... Um, I don't know. I don't know what I would have been into if it hadn't been around all the time. I mean, there's certain things that you just will intrinsically enjoy as a child, I think. you know, Maybe like superhero cartoons are just easy enough to grasp because they're colourful people yeah. in costumes doing stuff. Or Thunderbirds, it's, well, things are blowing up and there's exciting explosions and there's rescuing <laughs> people and it's very tense. Or things like that. So, yeah, I have no idea. I think as a child, they just sit you in front of anything that's aimed for kids anyway. Just in the hope that you'll pipe down for five minutes, I suppose.
1: (laughs) I think um, late Gen Xers like me and millennials like you were more likely to do that than Generation Alpha, but maybe that's just me being an old man.
3: Yeah, who knows? It's it's an interesting one to think about, though. How do you shape your interests? Because you get people that are so well, they're so far removed from what their family are into. You know, you hear a lot of people. Mm. It's like I'm into Star Trek, but my parents hate it or you know i don't have any friends that like star trek that kind of thing so it's it's almost these interests can spring up out of nowhere because there is no one feeding them early on
1: yeah i think my folks like that i have interests and aren't interested in them if that makes any yeah. sense i had to explain to my mother what a podcast was
3: <laughs> yeah it's like a radio show except it's not live kind of, and we yeah. talk about something more specific.
1: I then had to explain to my mother what Spotify was. <laughs> <laughs> and the list goes on. Yeah, yeah. But, um, so do you actually have any children yourself?
3: No, uh, I'm not married. I don't have children. I don't want children. I don't think that is for me. I struggle enough to take care of myself sometimes. You know, it's just, <laughs> uh, the, the prospect of me being responsible for another human being is quite something and it's not something I'm prepared to take on myself. I mean, that view might change at some point. Nothing is static, I guess, and Mm. the right circumstances could come into play, and then suddenly I'm interested in the idea. But at the moment, no, not interested in having kids.
1: I've always been surprised by how many people that I've had on this podcast have been very much along the same lines, that no, no plans, but it would be cool if I did. And I think that's a very kind of millennial Generation Z kind of attitude towards things.
3: Yeah. It used to be the sort of, or it maybe drummed in, maybe not so much now, but it was certainly drummed in that the way of things is you would do, you know, your early life, you would go to school, you'd go to university, you'd meet someone, you'd get married and then you'd settle down and you'd have a couple of kids and the cycle repeats itself. But I think things are moving away from that in the direction of, no, people can be focused on other things and it's not necessarily something that you need to complete yourself by having a family Mm. anymore. Whereas before it was kind of frowned upon. A lot of my family come from Ireland and there's, um, I forget what kind of cousin, but it's one of the cousins and it's, she was seen as a bit of an outlier because she wasn't married and didn't have kids and was working a lot. And she was, you know, she's a little older than me, I think. Um, Mm. So it's, at that point, it was seen, she has a kid now, funnily enough, but it was seen as, you're a bit strange in the family, you know.
1: Yeah, and I think attitudes are changing and people are, like, more comfortable with other people not conforming to the nuclear family social norm. And I think it's important to acknowledge that that is right. <laughs>
3: Yeah, it's a life choice like any other. Some people want to have kids, and that's something that they want to do, and they've met someone that is compatible with that thought process and Mm. that that life plan that they have. But it's not for everybody. I mean, people are happy just suiting themselves. I think I've I've been without a partner for so long that I've drawn into this sort of lifestyle where I just do whatever I want, whenever I want. You know, assuming I have the financial capability to do so. Mm. Now, I'm not well. Not that anybody answers to anybody, but I'm not answering to anybody in the sense that, you know, I need to plan around someone else when I want to go do something. If if I want to go do something, I can just go do it. You know, there's no limitation to that, and I do like that. Mm. I, mean, I don't know. At some point, would I like to have a partner? Yes, perhaps. But I think it's it would have to be compatible in the sense that there is no living in each other's pockets sort of scenario. It would have to be do your own thing because. There's there's time to do these other things later. That's just, you know, everybody suit themselves and then we have something to talk about when we are around each other. Yeah, and I think that's a very
1: modern take on relationships and I think people are more navigating towards that kind of an attitude rather than feeling like at 25 if you haven't got a long-term partner and you aren't planning on kids that there's something wrong with you or you've not been doing it right And I'm all in favour of that. I don't think you can time love or kids on a a specific timeline. And I think anyone that tries too hard with that could be shooting themselves in the foot, potentially.
3: Potentially, yeah. And I have a couple of friends that are are divorced and they're about my age. And Mm. I think it is in line with that. I'm in a rush to settle down, perhaps, and then suddenly realize we're not emotionally prepared for what this commitment actually means and then it kind of falls apart i mean there's probably other issues as well that i'm not privy to or shouldn't go into and all that kind of, but i think broadly <laughs> it's no it's yeah we're 25 or whatever age it is why are we married and thinking along these lines it's like when you're at school it's yeah. 17 it's like right now you need to decide what you're going to go to university and do and this might shape the job you do for the rest of your life and it's I'm 17, what are you doing? Why are you asking me to make that decision now?
1: Yeah, and I think realistically some people are ready at 17 but not everybody is and yeah, I think society is getting better at that slowly but surely.
3: Yeah, yeah, attitudes are changing. I think we're getting to a point where there's much more fluidity in the way people can live their lives and we're getting away from. I mean, it's the, you know, it's the Catholic dogmatism that the, we're kind of in that attitude of you have to be married and you have to have kids. That's your meaning in life. You preserve the family bloodline in whatever way you do. And I don't know. I mean, it's probably, it's probably a bit uh, short sighted to say that's a Catholic type thing. But I just know from my Irish Catholic family, and it's almost the cliche Irish Catholic family in that sense, and it is seen mm. that way. Or it was, and I think in a lot of cases it is. Certainly in older generations where they just don't understand that people's priorities are different. Because almost they Mm. feel, maybe they felt like those priorities were forced on them and they're a bit bitter about it. There's an element of that.
1: Mm. Mm. So in theory, if you were to have these, maybe, maybe not, but probably not kids, do you think you would have a naming ceremony
3: or a christening for them? I wouldn't do a christening. I'm not religious whatsoever. But a naming ceremony, yeah, it's something official, and then you can have—I well, don't know what the non-denominational name for godparents is, but godparents,
1: guide parents—is what I use.
3: Okay, yeah, I, I don't think there needs to be anything inherently religious about the term godfather, you know.
1: No, and I don't think I, you know. I don't think it's a bad idea to use godfather, but some people don't want god in the name guardian is used occasionally and i'm not fond of that because guardian kind of suggests someone who's replaced a parent to me mm-hmm. so you know if you, your folks have died your your parent or guardian was always a thing as like when i was a kid so if your grand was looking after you she was your guardian
3: yeah
1: Yet, not the same role you know
3: yeah it's whatever you want to call it is is fine it performs the same function really yeah. So, yeah, I, th- I still think Godfather sounds cool, but that's probably because of the film.
1: <laughs> it's a bloody good film. Yeah.
3: <laughs> nothing to do with religion. I'm a crime boss. That's what I am. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I think if you were a Godfather, showing the child to whom you are the Godfather of, the Godfather, would surely give you some cool points.
3: Yeah, you have to do that. I think that should be part of the rule. If you are named as a godfather, you have to show the kid the godfather. When they are slightly too young, you know, when it's still a bit taboo for them to watch it.
1: Not not stupid too young, yeah. but just a couple of years. Is it? An, it's an 18, isn't it?
3: Yeah, so it's it's so, the, don't tell your parents I showed you this.
1: Yeah, so 15, 16, you need to be the yeah. cool godfather. You can't <laughs> show it them once they hit 18, because they're already up the pub. So, you know, yeah. yeah, get the right balance.
3: Yeah, for sure, because that's... <laughs> That's the way that you become the you know, the, the better than the parent in that respect. It's I'll let you see stuff that they might not let you watch.
1: I I think anybody who appoints someone as a godparent, guideparent or whatever, and doesn't expect that person to give them too many sweets, let them watch stuff they're not supposed to watch, and occasionally swear just because that's what you have to do, you're supposed to be yeah. cool and any parent who doesn't expect a guide parent to do that hasn't got the right idea about guide parents.
3: No, I mean, they, they'll be forgetting about their own youthful rebellion, won't they? Or or naively expecting their own child not to follow that same pattern. Yeah. Are you a guide parent, godparent at all? I'm not, no. No, the closest I've got is, um, well, my, my cousin's, well, adopted daughter. So that that's the closest I've got oh. to that.
1: From what you've said, I think you've are you you know you've got the credentials for the job. So, you know, well, I think you'll
3: I'll make sure to pass that on to all my friends as soon as they announce that they're having a child. I'll be like, by the way, apparently I'd be a good godfather. So, go for
1: it. <laughs> <laughs> OK, so we're going to move on to talk about weddings. You've already said you're not married. So, do you want to get married? Do you believe in marriage?
3: I'm not against the idea. It's not something I don't see myself doing. It's just obviously there's no mechanism for it at this particular time in my life. It's, you know, it's not a deal-breaker. The The kids thing might be, but, yeah, getting married would be fine. I think there are some advantages to it in a legal sense, much as anything, which makes it sound really boring and clinical, but... There are definite protections in there that you don't get anywhere else.
1: You're talking to a gay man who's a celebrant. I get the fucking legal (laughs) stuff. (laughs) You know, the the horror stories about gay couples who everything was lost because the family were awful and that kind of thing. So, yeah, yeah, there is always a legal element to marriage and anybody. Yeah, it's just naive to not know and understand that that's an important part of it
3: well that's how it started wasn't it it's we're going to give our children to this or our child to this family so that our family becomes more powerful because they're now connected and things like yeah. that and it's a, it's a contract at the end of the day and again it makes it sound very clinical and I've been to some weddings where they do read you the legal stuff and the the humanist aspect is more like it for me because it is more About the people involved, rather than about the contract they're entering into, because that stuff Mm. to me sounds a bit dry. So it's no, I've I've chosen to spend the rest of my life, hopefully, with this one person, and I want the ceremony to be about why that is, rather than about what we're signing our lives away into.
1: Yeah, and this new fashion for prenup agreements. I, I, to my knowledge, none of my couples have had one of those, and. I would raise an eyebrow. I don't know what I think about prenups. I think they're a sad reality of the modern world, really.
3: Is it not usually for rich people that just don't want their soon-to-be ex-wives to walk away with everything? Yeah. Or that's the cliché?
1: Yeah, but you're absolutely right that there is... Of course, there's the happiest day of your life, but there is an element of... This is a contract. This is a commitment. But... I think the commitment part is the more important thing in as much as you know that this is the person you want to spend the rest of your life with.
3: Yeah, I would say so. And I think the best weddings I've been to are the ones that celebrate that in the way that the ceremony is structured as well. Mm.
1: So what would be involved in your perfect wedding?
3: I think I would want something relatively simple. Nothing hugely lavish. You know, just rent a, a location somewhere and just do... Just just do a bit of a party, really. Get everybody Mm. together, get a band in or a singer. It would have to be a band or a singer. I love live music. Right. So that would be it, really. Just a bit of a party. Let's celebrate everybody that I care about being in the same room at the same time. Hopefully everybody can make it in this fictitious wedding that's not happening anytime soon. (laughs) And that's all I would want, really. Just, you know, nothing huge.
1: Would you use the live band for the song coming down the aisle and stuff like that?
3: I guess so. I guess it depends on what the band or singer is willing to do, but Mm. no reason why not. I think that would add a bit of a a nice personal touch to it as well, rather than pre-recorded pipes music playing through.
1: Mm, mm. And you were kind of like a hope of mine for the dream wedding that I would like to do. So I'm a bit disappointed in you, Craig. (laughs) I'm a bit bald. So I've always thought I'd be a very okay. good Jean-Luc Picard. And I'd love to marry someone on the Enterprise. So if you know <laughs> that works for you maybe as a trekkie, I could you know, I'll give you discounts.
3: Yeah, well I'll discuss it with this uh, fictitious woman that doesn't currently <laughs> exist. Maybe she's keen for that, just <laughs> Star Trek themed wedding.
1: When I started this job, I was expecting loads and loads of really out there stuff. And it just isn't true. People will have personalised elements, but nobody actually wants to be married by a bloke dressed like Jean-Luc Picard.
3: <laughs> you hear about the odd example, or we're going to have an elvish wedding, or whatever they happen to be into. And those are great touches for, for for those people. But I think a lot of people aren't maybe aren't brave enough to stray too far from what is considered traditional. So... You go to most weddings I go to, everyone's you know wearing, at the very least a sort of suit or a dress or whatever, and you know Scottish people often wear kilts. I don't like wearing a kilt. I've only worn one once, and I'm never going to do it again. But it's something that people do. I went to one of my best friend's weddings in Poland, and he was decked out in the kilt, so it was all his side of the party, you know, his his family and so on. Um, so the bringing that Scottish element in, but yeah, there's a lot of the time at least in my experience people won't stray too far from what is considered mm. traditional because mm. there is still that the romance attached to yeah we'll get the, the big white dress and everybody will be dressed up in their finest and we'll have the meal yeah. and it's going to be you know it's, it's going to be a night to remember and i think there's merit to that i think it's absolutely yeah let's make some extra effort for this one day and you know do something that is maybe a bit slightly traditional you know we'll find mm. pick and choose the traditions that people use but ultimately yeah. we'll use them because they are tried and tested and they do tend to work you know the, yeah you go to a wedding there's a ceilidh band in scotland everybody enjoys that and the ceilidh band always have to teach everyone how to do the dances because no one <laughs> really remembers <laughs> since the last time they did it and you know, that must be the worst part of being in a ceilidh band it's like, i've got to tell people how to do a dashing white sergeant again <laughs>
1: <laughs> you remember Dashing White Sergeant, do you think you could dance it?
3: No. I would have to be sure.
1: <laughs> Brilliant. So what do you think would be your song for the first dance? What would you pick?
3: It's difficult to answer that without having a partner because presumably it would be a song that would be you know, would have resonance to the two of you.
2: Hmm. That
3: that would be the point in it. I mean there are songs that I love. Iris by the Goo Goo Dolls is a song that I think is amazing so if it were me deciding then that would probably be it
1: yeah and i guess it can go on the playlist if it isn't what eventually becomes your first dance yeah
3: although i wouldn't let the live band sing it because it can't be covered very well Hmm.
1: but you you want your first dance maybe to be with a live band then rather than a recorded thing similar to the to the aisle
3: yeah so no idea then i know that iris is a song i really like maybe they'll do a good version of it or maybe I will just get the Goo Goo dolls to perform at my wedding
1: amazing
3: why not it's 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 fake, it's not happening, so might as well.
1: <laughs> A friend of mine actually looked at how much share would cost for his wedding.
3: <laughs> Oof,
1: yeah, he didn't get share.
3: Does she do those kind of bookings? She would do, yeah, but oh, wow. he
1: found out how much it would be, and I think it was like I think it was like some like two million dollars or something, <laughs> plus flights and everything else. It is possible to get share, but um, I think um, maybe you should spend the money on something other than share.
3: There's got to be a tribute act that's pretty close for a lot less, you'd think.
1: (laughs) Good point. Well made. All right, let's move on to the section about death. And the first question is heavy. It is. Are you afraid of death?
3: I wouldn't say I'm afraid of death. I mean, it's something I accept as being a thing that will eventually happen, hopefully a long time in the future. And it's not something I've really thought much about until fairly recently. I lost my mum in uh, October of 2019. And ever since then, it's just... If I watch a TV show where someone loses a parent or someone loses anyone, it really goes for me, even if it's something I've already seen, because Mm. I have that... Different perspective on it now, and before it was you know people losing family members, people losing friends, people losing people close to them was something that happened to other people. It never really happened to me. And then when it did, it suddenly opens up this whole this whole mental space that you never had access to before. And it's you know it's not a great space to be in, and it's it's very difficult to. You know, even now um, that we're a year on, so I wouldn't say I'm afraid of it. I'm more aware of it than I ever was before, and it's yeah. Because I've been fortunate that my grandparents they are well into their eighties, and you know they outlived my mum who was fifty seven when she died. So right. that's you know, and it's it's weird. I mean, I know that they they're thinking that's not the natural natural order of things. You know, not supposed... Your grandparents aren't supposed to be helping you deal with the loss of your mum. That's just not the, the way it's supposed to happen. But it's the way it does happen. And, yeah, so I'm not afraid of it, but I have an awareness of it.
1: Yeah. It isn't as simple as, you know, each generation buries the previous generation. And I went into my job with a very similar kind of thought process and dealing with people that aren't burying their parents or burying the generation before them was a challenge to me and less so now because I'm used to it because it happens much more often than you think it might.
3: Yeah.
1: And the standard idea of grief and the process of how people die in people's heads is, it's only highlighted as wrong when it happens to you
3: yeah and it's different for everybody as well some people seem fine and aren't coping some people are visibly not coping and there are some people that cope just fine as well i think you know as strange as it sounds but my grandparents being in their mid 80s if obviously it would be a blow if i were to lose one or both of them but there's a element of expectation to it because of the age that they are you know there isn't really a lot of people that reach that age and you hear about celebrities dying and it's like such and such dies age 90 sean connery for example being the recent example and you know he was 90 he died in his sleep in the bahamas we should all be so lucky is (laughs) what people can say you know because it is it's 90 years old no one can really say oh yeah it came out of nowhere I mean, maybe it did. Maybe it's just, it it always does. It's always in a day you're not expecting or there might be a build-up to it. And, you know, at the point, they were ill for ages. It was inevitable. It was going to happen within the next three months or whenever it is. So you can have that kind of preparation, but it also will happen unexpectedly in a lot of cases. And I think if it's an older relative and if it's a grandparent or a great-grandparent, as some people are... You know, strangely, have which you wouldn't hear about like thirty years ago. It's people having mm, great grandparents. Mm. It's almost unheard of. But there would be that expectation that, yeah, I do know that there is a finite amount of time here. There's, you know, there's an expected mortality to this part of my family because of the age they are. But when it happens younger, then it's not something that you're prepared for in the same way. I mean, I have no idea how I'll cope when. I eventually do lose my grandparents because it hasn't happened to me. So I have no idea what yeah. it will do to me. I just know what happened when I lost my mum and it was horrible. And it remains horrible. And, you know, it's something I think about pretty much every day. And I think it's, yeah, it's not easy. And you get people complaining about, oh, this person's always going on about, you know, being upset about whatever. And it's like, you have no idea what's going through their head. So you you don't get to say that.
1: No, I agree with that. I think... You're right that different people deal with grief in different ways. And people need to understand that other people may not grieve in the same way as you. They may not deal with it as, I don't want to say well, um, as stoically as you might, perhaps. Yeah. And that's OK. Yeah,
3: well. But- when it comes to expressing emotion, I'm not the most emotionally expressive person around other people. It's just the way I am. So, when everything was happening, and you know, I remember other family members being like, it's okay to cry and stuff like that. You know, when, when they're seeing my mum for the final time at the Undertaker's office and things like that. And people, You know, it's okay to cry. And I'm like, yeah, I'm aware of that, but I'm not doing it here and I'm not doing it now.
1: Did you feel almost obliged that you had to
3: fucking cry? Well to an extent you know sometimes you'd be sitting there or you're sitting around family because I've never really experienced grief before in that way. You're sitting around family or you're sitting around friends or whatever and they're, you end up talking about TV shows or mm. just normal stuff and then it's like hold on a minute here like should we be talking about this but like, what am I supposed to be? Am I supposed to be this constant out? you know is this supposed to be this constant output of grief where I talk about nothing else and it's no, you do find yourself, like, focusing on weirdly different things. And then, you know, and I remember with work as well, it was, I was off for nearly four months just, you know, because I wasn't ready to go back. But every time I would have an interaction with my manager, be it through text or going to, you know, popping in hand in a sick line or whatever, and I'd be thinking, is she thinking that I'm taking the piss here? Is she thinking that I've been off for too long? Is she thinking I need to get back? So, you know, it's weird stuff just goes through your head.
1: Yeah, I think it's almost impossible to understand what someone might need and it could be a shoulder to cry on that's the obvious one but it could be a conversation about telly sometimes you want anything but a conversation about what you're grieving about
3: yeah i mean the thing it was it was actually the day after Uh, i got messages from uh, the day after my mum and i got messages from people that i work with and stuff and and they were saying like if you need anything you know even if it's just to go for a beer or whatever and the day after I messaged and I was like I'd really like to go for a beer I'd really like. <laughs> you know because I'm going to be back and forth there's going to be so much going on over the next few months and you know stuff that's still going on now but it's yeah I really just want to go for a beer I just want to be around people and you know, maybe mm-hmm. maybe we don't talk about stuff. Or tell me about the shambles that work is that I'm, when I'm not in, and you know things like just yeah. give me something normal. Just you, you do find that people don't know how to deal with you as well. They don't know mm-hmm. whether they should ask about it or whether they shouldn't ask about it. And I got around that by just I would always just say to people, "Look, we know this. There's this thing in the room that has happened that I'm dealing with, but it's okay for you to bring it up or ask me about it because." Yeah. it normalizes it and and it puts their mind at ease as in the well am i like trying too hard to get away from the subject or something like that you know so i try mm. to just make it clear that no no i'm okay to talk about this to an extent there may be a point where i'm like okay i can't talk about this anymore yeah but we can at least talk about it because it is relevant
1: yeah so we're going to move on and talk about your funeral now Do you want to be buried or cremated?
3: Cremated would be fine by me. Uh, A burial is not something I'm all that interested in. I used to say, you know, you can throw me on the skip for all I care. I'm dead. You know, it's that. It's just the shell, isn't it? You know, so a cremation is more than fine by me.
1: Mm. And you're not the only person to make that tasteless joke. And I think (laughs) a lot of people mean it. And so it seems like out of the two options, that cremation is the better more environmentally friendly of the two
3: yeah <laughs> yeah it's a, it's a tasteless joke in the sense but it's also the the idea that I am um, I don't really care I won't be here yeah you know I mean I have no idea what's beyond death hopefully something because I would hate the the idea that will just stop existing one day because that's mm. that's terrifying in itself but at that point yeah whatever remains behind when I'm not here just do whatever you want it's I'm not yeah. here Worry about it,
1: (laughs) yeah, yeah. So, have you had a thought about what reading you might like to have at your funeral?
3: Not sure about readings as such. I mean, maybe just some songs that I liked, just play them. Everybody Hmm. should, you know, should just try and not have a good time, but just try and not like not focus on the fact that I'm gone focus on the fact that I was here. Yeah. That's you know, that's ultimately what I want. And that's what I tried to do with my mum's as well. I was you no, know, let's like let's not dwell on the fact that she's gone, let's talk about the fact that she was here and what's important about that. Ultimately yeah. why we're gathered here is because of this person. So therefore let's celebrate that person and let's not dwell on the fact that they died.
1: Mm, I think you're right. So what music tracks would you select? you get one for the entrance, the reflection, and the exit. What music do you think you'd have?
3: Ooh, that's a a tough one. I'd quite like to to walk into... Walk in.
1: You won't be doing the walk-in. No, no.
3: No, I'll I'll be... uh, I will be immobile. Um, Maybe the, the Star Trek The Next Generation theme. I think that would just be ridiculous in the right way. Excellent. That would be... Yeah, it'd be great. Just, you know, people are expecting some kind of morbid thing that means a lot. And then it's the Star Trek The Next Generation theme. Proper major key, upbeat music.
1: It means a lot to you. And that's what's important. I've said it before on this podcast. I've had the Friends theme and I've had um, Coronation Street so far. I want to get (laughs) a nice collection of telly themes as my uh, career carries on, you know?
3: Yeah, yeah. Uh, reflection something like Time After Time by Cyndi Lauper comes to mind for some reason. I really like that song.
1: Yeah. Yeah, it's a lovely song. And what about When People Leave?
3: When People Leave? Oof. I don't know. It's got to be something a bit silly. It'd have to be something <laughs> a bit silly. You know, something ridiculous. Um,
1: well, tell you what, can you take a guess at what the most popular song in Britain is for When People Leave?
3: I don't know. It would be something associated with football, would it be?
1: There are football ones in the top ten, but the most popular one is My Way. Really? Yeah. yeah that makes sense. So I, the, the emphasis is that you can have whatever you want. So come yeah. on, what, you can have whatever you want. What's it going to be?
3: Well, I'm just trying to think of what silly stuff that I quite like. <laughs> I don't know. Um well, when I was growing up, I loved the band Bewitched. So maybe like C'est la vie by Bewitched—that would be <laughs> unique. Again, it's, it's that kind of people—you know, people who might not know you that well that have maybe worked with you a long time ago that decide to go along or something like that, and then, like, what the hell is this? <laughs> magnificent. Yeah, I mean, if I was to look at look down on it from on high, I would I would really <laughs> enjoy the fact that some people are like, "What is going on here?"
1: But surely that's the point, is that people would go, what's he doing? Oh, wait, it was Craig. Of course he's going to do something dumb <laughs> yeah, like this. Yeah. <laughs> that's a beautiful one. That is a beautiful one. <laughs> Bewitched. I've got a yeah. playlist, you know. Some of the tat that I've added to this playlist for the <laughs> podcast is,
3: is magnificent. Magnific- oh, there's some champion tat there. You know, it's a <laughs> classic 90s pop song. It really is.
1: Oh, that's a favourite of mine. <laughs> Craig, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on Live Milestones. where can people find you on the internet?
3: Well, I'm on We Made This occasionally I haven't um, hosted anything in a while rarely going is over but I'll appear here and there I guess and there may or may not be a podcast in the offing that I will be contributing heavily to so stay tuned for that Outside of that, you can find me on Neil Before Blog, which is a website. It's on Twitter and Facebook under Neil Before Blog or neilbeforeblog.co.uk. So, at the moment, as I said earlier, reviewing Star Trek Discovery, got podcasts attached. So, that's definitely got to be worth listening to because it's just it's a good way to spend an hour and a half or just under an hour and a half. So, that's broadly where I can be found. Personally, my Twitter is Nemesis4909, um, which. This isn't a Star Trek podcast, but I should explain it's not a Star Trek reference. It was a Resident Evil reference when I came up with it.
1: Do you know, I was going to make sure you said your favourite line of it's not a Star Trek reference. Could you say <laughs> it on every single episode I of do. a Star Trek it's podcast?
3: It's become my personal catchphrase for the We Made This Network.
1: What's wrong with Star Trek Nemesis? It's a good film. I don't mind
3: Star Trek Nemesis. I think it's alright. I think it's flawed and I think it it doesn't do enough to be what it needs to be but i think it's fine but when i had the twitter handle or rather it was, the twitter handle would be post nemesis the star trek film but when i used to play video games online like red alert 2 and so on that mm-hmm. was my handle and i don't know cuz i was playing resident evil 3 at the time and then I'm like yeah nemesis that sounds cool so i'll go with that and then the 4909 was just the number it would let me have fair enough <laughs> Well,
1: Craig, it's been brilliant. Thank you so much for being on Life's Milestones.
3: I've loved it. Thank you very much for having me.
1: I'd just like to say one more time, thank you to Craig for taking the time out of his day to talk to me about his Life's Milestones. And do check out all of his podcasts, including Neil Before Blog, as well as all the ones on the We Made This Podcast Network. And I'm looking forward to potentially working with Craig in future. Because what you don't see behind the scenes on the We Made This Podcast Network is a lot of chat about potential podcasts. We're all massive nerds and we all like the same pop culture, or a lot of the time we do. And Craig and I have got a lot in common and we are talking about in future having a podcast together together. But I'm not going to tell you what it is, but you might see in future. At the start of the episode, I talked about how I've approached people on Facebook and other groups to find people that I don't know to come as guests on Life's Milestones. If you are a person of faith, Christian, Muslim, Buddhist, any faith, or perhaps you're a spiritual person, Wiccan, pagan or anything like this... I don't have many friends like that and I am very keen to get diversity onto my podcast. So if you feel like you've got stories to tell and you want to tell them, do get in touch with me. You can message me on Twitter at Life's Milestones or you can email me on my celebrant email mark.adams at uk. I really do mean it when I say that I want to get lots of people's different stories on this podcast and it's not like I don't think I've had brilliant diverse stories already I have this is 19 episodes in and none of the episodes are anything like each other that's something I'm really proud of but I want to maintain that so if you are interested do get in touch with me so thank you very much for listening and I'll see you in a fortnight Life's Milestones is a podcast on the We Made This Podcast Network. The show's host is me, Mark Adams. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram, at MarkAdamsHC. You can also find me on Facebook, just search for Mark Adams Humanist Celebrant. My website is humanist.org.uk forward slash Mark Adams. Regular listeners to the podcast can claim a 10% discount on my fees for a naming ceremony or wedding... Just make sure you quote Milestones when you get in touch. The theme tune for Life's Milestones is performed by Zach Reagan and the logo was created by Carl Bryan. Follow the show on Twitter at Life's Milestones. Thank you for listening.
0: this is Tony, Network Chief of We Made This. As you know, our podcast network brings together a brilliant assortment of talent who talk about all kinds of pop culture content, such as the episode you've just listened to, or maybe you're just about to listen to. We're not going anywhere, but we'd love to keep the lights on for even longer if you're able to support our network on Patreon. For just £2 a month, you get your name in lights and the satisfaction of knowing you're helping us produce more great audio. And for £3 a month, you'll get your name in lights, but you'll also get access to an exclusive bi-monthly podcast from the We Made This Talent pool on podcasting, pop culture, and, well, you tell us. We'll take your suggestions. For less than the price of a coffee per month, you can help keep We Made This going. Just head to patreon.com forward slash We made this, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com forward slash we made this. And get the ball rolling. Elsewhere on We Made This.
3: Pick a disc. It's uh it definitely fits like a I think there's always I think there's a danger zone for a few in a few ways for Teen Girl where we try to write songs that sound like a band from the nineties that we like. And this one is just like, it was, it was our attempt at like kind of a slacker rock thing. And I still like it, but I don't think it ever fit with us live. It never quite hit the right vibe live. I still like it on the album, but yeah, that was, I mean, that one's, you know, uh, that was a lot of fun. Cause we brought in, um, our buddy Alex to play guitar on the, uh, on like the, the noise part in the middle. Which I really loved, and he actually did some really cool slide guitar for Snow Cones that that we just we 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 kept off because we liked it as a simpler song.
0: Right in the childhood.
1: Aware of the David Bowie introduction? Uh, now, yes. So, the boy is David Bowie.
3: No. Way. The boy is David
1: Bowie. Channel Four usually, but not always, aired yeah. a two or three minute intro with David Bowie holding the scarf that Santa wow. gave him, saying, "This is my childhood. I'm going to tell you a story about a special moment in my life."
0: We dig music. I am amazed it's made top ten. Oh, I'm, so it's really good. I hard.
3: really
2: am. <laughs> I do not remember what <laughs> exactly. this is like at
0: all. I, all. My only comment when I was actually listening to it is bit nothing. I think it's really good, um, although it does suspiciously sound a lot like Sting's uh, Shape of My Heart. What? It really does. The The guitar melody okay. is... Very much Uh, like it. Uh, It's it's got beautiful guitar and (laughs) vocal. Check out all of these shows and more on the We Made This podcast network.